This is Future You with Jeff Salingo and Michael Horn. And welcome to Future You and the start of our third season. I'm Jeff Salingo along with Michael Horn. Michael, could you believe it's our third season of Future You? I think when we started out, we had no idea what would uh, come of it, but people seem to listen and hopefully they're still listening. So it's a heck of a lot of fun. And we're here in our shorts and t-shirts because it's so warm uh, still from the from the summer. How was, how was your summer? What, what did you do over the summer? Yeah, it's been a great summer. It's been a crazy summer. Uh, my wife, for some of you who follow me on social media may know, uh, launched a frozen dessert truck. Uh, so that's been very tasty for our family this summer. We've had a lot of taste testing and a lot of fun <laughs> with it. And it's sold well also. So things are going very well. The flip side of that is that I've had a little less time to be productive on the work front. Hopefully, she's not listening and grimacing, but... uh uh, but it's been great. I've gotten to spend more time with my daughters, and I've traveled less, which has been terrific because literally today, uh, my uh, new book, Choosing College, comes out, and uh, travel's about to get very crazy, and I was able to spend a lot of time in the summer wrapping up the manuscript, final edits, uh, and then doing all the things that you know uh, you actually do when the book is done, which people say, oh, aren't you relieved? Well, no, actually, now you have to spend all your time writing op-eds, planning out the publicity, planning out your travel, uh, and actually it gets quite uh, busy. So it's been really exciting and really uh, starting to understand the messages of the book even better than when I wrote it. Um, and have you been getting a lot of free samples uh, from uh, from that uh, from that business? Yeah, and, anyone. And is that just more of a seasonal business or should you do that great, great. Around? Yeah, so, so it's been a seasonal business was the initial idea. Go to about Halloween and start up in Patriot's Day. For those that don't know, we have Patriot's Day in Massachusetts. Uh, but she just signed a lease, uh, actually, for a brick-and-mortar space. Oh. So now she's going to do some year-round thing. We're going to be building out a kitchen this fall and winter for that space and all sorts of crazy We're going to have to bring but, on uh, some samples I was gonna say, to you, a future We'll have year. to bring yeah. them on set, yeah, and we'll uh, our guests can uh, partake of it. Yeah, but, that uh, will be great. Yeah, no, it'll be fun. So what, what about you? What was your summer like? Well, I'm about basically a year behind you in terms of uh, book writing. So uh, my book will come out probably next August. Uh, uh the choice, uh, looking inside college uh, admissions. And so right now I am in still writing mode. Uh, manuscript is due this fall. And uh, so I've been getting up essentially 5 a.m. every day, seven days a week, and, and writing through probably most of the morning and sometimes the afternoons. Uh, I try to keep my afternoons free as much as possible, but writing every morning when I seem to be I'm the same more way. productive. The, the morning yeah. time is the best time for me to write. Um, and, you know, and there's this 5 a.m. Uh, writing club hashtag on, on Twitter, which uh, kind of keeps me honest to, to actually get up at 5. Uh, and my kids usually get up around 7 or so, so it's perfect, like two hours to get stuff done. I try not to get on Twitter or read the newspapers or read all those morning emails that people seem to send, right? Those email uh, yeah, newsletters. emails from me saying, hey, my <laughs> book is out. <laughs> so I try not to do that and, and, and try to focus on, on the writing. But it's going really well. I'm really happy with where uh, the book is. I, I mean, I, I didn't really cover admissions uh, in terms of higher education in the 20 years I've been covering higher education. So I had a lot to learn. So the only regret I guess I have is there, there was a, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of on the cutting room floor. Uh, that's just not going to make the book. It, it really helped me understand uh, admissions and all the people I talked to, but I'm not going to be able to, unfortunately, uh, I think, get it in the book, but hopefully repackage it in, in other ways. Well, what I will say is your newsletter has done a good job of teasing your findings over the last several months. And it's been, I mean, it seems like you're digging up fascinating nuggets uh, by, by literally being in there with, uh, with, with these admissions offices as they're making some of these choices, reading some of these 
these applications. No, and it's been fun. And obviously, there's a lot of books on, on admissions coming out in the next year. So it's going to be a fun space. And we're going to be dedicating a whole show coming up uh, to you and your, your co-author, Bob, uh, talking about uh, choosing college. So really looking forward to that. And hopefully our, our listeners are, are too. But let's talk a little bit about um, some of the summer storylines that yeah. have been uh, been kind of out there and, and, and about. Um, there's been a lot of news, you know, higher ed news doesn't stop for the summer, even though uh, the Future You podcast uh, uh, does, uh, you know, a lot of news around Amazon making this big splash, what, seven, eight hundred million dollars yeah. that they're going to spend on on worker training. And, and I'll never forget waking up that morning, reading that story, I think, in The Wall Street Journal, and it didn't mention colleges at all. Uh, and usually when, when companies, uh, when big Fortune 500 companies spend a lot of money on worker training or retraining, somewhere in the story it mentions post-secondary education, and it didn't at this this time what's what's going on yeah so i mean my take is that a lot of professors for a long time have said job training not our business uh and amazon said okay not your business we'll do it ourselves in effect and in some ways they're taking from their playbook that they did with amazon web services where for those that don't know they built this big cloud computing infrastructure and then it was basically their first client was themselves Mm -hmm. amazon itself was the client for aws and then they said hey there's something here let's open this up uh, and allow other people to use aws I wonder if we're seeing a similar thing here in education, which is to say that they're looking around and saying, we need to upskill 100,000 of our 300,000 employees, 100,000 of our 300,000 employees. And we don't see a lot of places, third-party places out there uh, that can handle this. The colleges and universities aren't keeping up with the curriculum as fast. Uh, They don't have the faculty, perhaps, that are on the same, uh, researching the same questions that we need answers to to upskill our team. And so we're going to essentially create these education entities ourselves. It sounded like that they're going to spin them out uh, ultimately and have them be standalone entities, although I guess we'll wait and see on that for sure. Uh, And Amazon basically said, we're going to go it alone and do it ourselves. I would say super smart move if you have decided that this is a core issue for you strategically. That is, whenever something is not good enough in the value chain, you've got to integrate yourself and do that. Uh, And if you've decided it's interdependent, meaning you're not going to quite get the education right for what you need, and you need to just have a lot of turns on that and iterate a lot, then you need those things to be super close to the core. And that's what Amazon is doing. Uh, Let's see if they open it up then and then allow other corporations to train their employees there. That would be game-changing, I think. It would be, and I'm wondering then, you know, who do they open it up to? Be, uh, to and and do we now see a more aggressiveness on part of higher education institutions to sign more of like the Starbucks types of deals or the Disney deals and the other uh, Fortune 500 companies that have partnered exclusively uh, with colleges and universities? Do you do you see a, a change in strategy maybe for higher education saying, hmm? Amazon's now a competitor to us. Maybe we need to start to go out and, and, and get ahead of them. I think you're seeing a handful of institutions still doing that. And there's companies now that exist. Uh, Arizona right. State launched in stride. There was already Guild Education. We, of course, had Rachel on the show uh, uh, in the previous uh, season. And so there's certainly these uh, interface entities, if you will, that exist to navigate the tensions and uh, unpredictability between what corporations need and what universities are built to deliver. Uh, I think you're going to see more movement in that. We're seeing that other uh, entities, Bright Horizons, for example, seems to be playing a more active role in this as well. Uh, So I certainly think there's going to be a trend in that direction. My big question remains, though, when there's a recession, uh, will will the uh, colleges and employers sort of stick at this, right? right? I just don't know, you know, 
right well, now the labor part market's of this tight. is war for talent, right? You, yeah. you have to be different. We're competing right now. Right. We're trying to differentiate. And, and does that stay when there's softness in the market? And what will that do? And what will that do to even like Amazon's calculation? Uh, in, in some ways, $700 million is a huge headline number. In other ways, over three years, $700 million is somewhat of a rounding error for them. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how to think about all these trends right now. I think they're significant, and there's certainly something to keep an eye on, but it's not entirely clear where it all goes from my perspective. But the flip side of this, I guess, Jeff, uh, is another story that I, I've uh, been paying attention to but don't understand nearly as well as you do, uh, which is the flip side of if employers are going to be getting into higher education essentially themselves directly – well, then presidents at colleges, their job insecurity may go up as well. And we've seen a lot of presidents, it seems, depart over the summer. From my perspective, it's felt like a big number, but I would love you to put in perspective on what's driving the turnover. Um, so I'm not sure it's a, it's a bigger number than in the past, but what I think we're seeing is a much shorter tenures, for example. Uh, so, uh, you know, the average tenure now of a college president is down to about five years, uh, you know, from seven, even just a couple of, of years ago. And, and I think summer is kind of an appropriate time for this to be happening. You know, many boards meet in May. Uh, many presidential contracts are up at the end of June. And so I think the board gets together in May. They get a little nervous about where, especially in these tuition-dependent, enrollment-driven institutions, hey, enrollment's not quite where we expected it to be. Um, and, and that's the end of it uh, for many of these presidents. The, the one in particular that I was kind of interested in was Marist uh, in, in New York because the previous president had been there forever, 25-plus mm-hmm. uh, uh, plus years. Uh, and, and the new president was really moving into an expansion of, of what they were doing, not only in their graduate programs, they were opening up a campus in New York City, they were going into medical education with a medical school. You know, and Marist is kind of a regional private, and it, it just seemed like they were moving in directions that were going to cost uh, a lot of money. And I think that's the other thing that you see happening right now, where the board and the presidents may not be aligned in terms of strategy. Mm. And I think boards now are getting much more involved in short-term strategy, and I might even say short-term management. Huh. Um, and you know, and that's always been a bright line, right? Uh, in terms yeah, of especially uh, with boards. academic freedom, right? and so yeah, forth, academic right? freedom, and, and boards have always been, you know, we're not management. We, we're you know, we're oversight uh, and having that fiduciary responsibility. But I think they're starting to get a little bit more uncomfortable uh, with the numbers and where they are and where higher ed is going. And so I think they're getting much more involved now. And when they do, they don't necessarily see the president taking on what they what they think should be the strategy of, of the institution. And they're much more willing to cut loose now uh, rather than, you know, well, let's see what happens because they're nervous about the numbers, right? And we, and we know that at many institutions this past uh, spring, they missed their enrollment goals or their uh, their tuition discount rates were much higher than they expected. And as a result, I think the boards are starting to say, you know, we don't have a couple of years to figure this out. We have to figure it out now. Is it your sense that the boards are paying more attention to some of those numbers than they have in the past? Because, I mean, the tuition discount rate has been going up year over year over year. And we passed the 35% mark several years ago that was supposed to be sort of the the, oh my goodness moment of uh, schools are going to start to go into decline. And it didn't feel like boards necessarily went into an activist mode at that time. What's changed? Uh, well, I think that it, the, you know, I think most people used to get on boards because it was just a fun thing to do, and now it's real work. Um, so I think that's changed, right? They feel like, well, uh, this is a commitment that I have to pay attention to. I, I also think that they're 
paying much more attention to what I would call, the, the as I said earlier, the short-term management rather than the long-term strategy. And that actually kind of worries me, mm-hmm. right? Because most of these people com- are coming from the for-profit world. Uh, they work for companies that are thinking about the next quarter. Uh, and so they're more interested in how are we doing year over year rather than looking at a five or a 10-year time horizon, which I think boards used to do. They used to look at that longer horizon, mm-hmm. which is why we've had institutions that have been around for hundreds of years. But again, they worry that the institution is not financially sustainable even in the short term. Uh, and so they're much more focused on these on these, on these these local or on these short term. I mean, as we think goals. about the future of higher education, monitoring how boards are actually governing those institutions is going to be absolutely critical uh, to keep an eye on. So if that trend persists and it becomes more short termism, if you will, uh, like so much in our society, uh, I, I mean, I think that could be a detriment. Uh, it, it would worry me, even as I think they need to be paying a closer eye on the fiscal sustainability of a lot of these institutions is, is my own perspective on on the question. Right. Well, and uh, we should note probably for our listeners, uh, this is not a format that we're going to continue on for the entire uh, season. We're going to have uh, in, uh, we're going to have guests and interviews on uh, coming up on our next episode, but this is our first episode back. And for now, we're going to take a quick break and come back and continue to talk about some of the summer storylines that we've had. We'll be right back. This episode of Future You was made possible with support from the Academy for Innovative Higher Education Leadership. The Academy is a partnership between Arizona State University and Georgetown University and is the premier training ground for those who aspire to senior leadership positions in higher education and those who want to lead organizational change at colleges and universities in the future. This episode was also made possible with support from Entangled Solutions. If you want to shape the future of education, Entangled Solutions would like to hear from you. Entangled Solutions is hiring smart, mission-driven team members interested in helping world-class institutions solve their most vexing challenges in learning and education. Learn more at entangled.solutions. And welcome back to Future You. Uh, Jeff, one of the uh, storylines from the summer uh, that really caught my attention, uh, and I still don't know what to make of it because it's just, I guess I'm not diabolical enough to think this way, but uh, was this story broke that parents are disowning their children uh, in order to be able to, in essence, afford college. Uh, can you can you break this down a little bit more of what was going on and what does it mean for the future of higher education? Because it's certainly got a lot of people uh, focused on the question in a way that Varsity Blues scandal did earlier. Right. And, and I, I think, you know, ProPublica did this story out of Illinois, uh, where the University of Illinois actually um, just start discovering there were more people giving up guardianship of their of their children uh, in order to make them uh, independent um, so that they would qualify for more financial aid. Uh, it's unclear still, to be honest with you, even after uh, several uh, weeks now of this, uh, exactly how big of a scandal uh, this really is. Some people tell me it's not as widespread as you know the stories made it out to be, Meaning but like it's still happening. Twenties, yeah, of. we may be talking you know dozens here, not hundreds okay. and thousands, uh, and and. And the, what really frustrates people, I think, in Illinois is that there were, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of students who didn't get aid uh, in in Illinois. So it's it's a, it's not as big of as that, as that problem in terms mm-hmm. of students not getting aid. But I think what this kind of comes back to me is that this idea that even middle income families, because many of these families were middle income families who decided to uh, give up guardianship, are really frustrated with where tuition's going. Uh, and you know, and I've written recently about this idea of have we have all of these scandals put together? Have all the crises about 
student loans and other things show that we've kind of reached peak tuition, mm -hmm. uh, that, that colleges really can't, they're bumping up against the max. Uh, and, you know, there was a story I wrote back for the Chronicle in 2005, it's fascinating to me now, uh, about when um, uh, a couple of colleges went over the $40,000 mark in tuition. And the story was all about have has have we reached the limit now? Right, and now now sixty is the new forty, right? Uh, uh, and as I think about my own kids' five twenty nine plans, right, I think of yeah, like what, 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 right, what am yeah. I budgeting for that? But at some point, right, we can't be talking about colleges that cost a hundred thousand dollars a year. And I understand these are, um, you know, these are uh, uh, these are the sticker price, right? Sure. Uh, and not everybody pays that, but some people are. Um, and I think what's increasingly happening is that people who can pay are not willing to pay. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we saw that. And in fact, we heard that from a number of selective colleges that missed their enrollment targets this year. They told me that what the, where they really missed was at the top uh, in terms of income. And, and it's parents not willing to pay anymore for that, for, that, for that prestigious degree, unless it's from Harvard, Yale, Princeton, you know, Stanford, maybe a few others. Yeah. I mean, one of the arguments that I make in the beginning of choosing college is that one of the things we see is despite all the surveys that say the students are going for jobs, it actually feels like it's more their parents uh, because of this financial calculation that they're doing now in their head where they're like, wait a minute, I'm spending all this for what on the other side? And then that's sort of getting pressured, if you will, onto the kids to, to uh, feel that, if you will, in some way. And it's almost of the college's own making. Like they don't want to be responsible for this return on investment question in many cases, but because it's gotten so expensive, it feels almost unavoidable. Is is sort of my perspective on it. Well, and what I think is going to have to happen is that we're now going to have to focus on on the cost side, mm -hmm. right? The idea that maybe we could do more tweaks on the pricing side, maybe we could find out more ways to help students afford college. But it's clear to me that we really have to start to tackle in big ways the cost side. Because we cannot continue to have, even though we only have like one, two, three percent increases in tuition now, we can't continue to have these big increases in tuition. Yeah, so and I wrote a piece for Forbes uh, over the summer about uh, five reasons why, in my opinion, free college doesn't make sense. Uh, and one of them was around this that I, I, I think we need the disruptive innovations to come in, these lower cost programs that fundamentally reset what we think of as tuition. Because I, I kind of think this bending of the cost curve conversation that's from healthcare that we're trying to port over into higher education, it might work around the margins, but it's not going to make the significant changes. We really need to rethink in some cases, I think, what this program delivery looks like. And I continue to be intrigued by these hybrid campuses that are popping up, this mix of online with these brick and mortar spaces. I think that uh, centering in communities and so forth, I think is going to be an important piece of it. I don't know what it means for rural students, uh, but but I think for, for much of the population that goes to college today, I think this will have to be part of the answer. Yeah, and I, I think we're going to have to, again, figure out, I think, where the biggest innovations are going to happen in this space in the next couple of years are around uh, this pricing side, around the cost side. It, can we reduce the cost so we reduce the price to students instead of focusing so much on how can we make this more affordable mm. uh, to students? There's somewhat related to that is on the graduate side, we, we saw a number of stories this summer around the OPM market, uh, the online program management market, and a number of uh, institutions and providers uh, running into some issues, uh, mostly around enrollment and, and slowing growth in enrollment in these programs. Can you talk a little bit about uh, that storyline and kind of what is a question I get often, what is the future of, of the OPM market in general? Yeah, I, so a couple things I think happened. One was a continuation of a storyline we started to pick up on at the end of uh, last season of Future You, which was people were questioning all the revenue that was going into these OPMs from uh, from from these campuses 
that signed these deals. But then the other shoe dropped in the LA Times where they looked at USC and said, wow, it seems they've way over budgeted on the cost side uh, to uh, uh, sort of account for demand that maybe isn't there. And so got themselves into a bunch of financial trouble uh, was the implication of that set of articles. Deeply controversy uh, with uh, he says, she says sort of things going on. But, uh, but the point was, OPM's clearly under attack. And then to you a few weeks ago on their earnings call out of somewhat nowhere, uh, from my perspective anyway, uh, made this announcement that, hey, the market's getting a lot tougher, this revenue share business. We don't really think that's the future. We're going to have to go much more to these uh, uh, paid paid for and, uh, excuse me, uh, pay, pay fee for service uh, arrangements and much shorter programs with Get Smarter and stuff like that that are not full master's degrees programs. And the cost of acquisition is going up significantly because, hey, it's really competitive out there. A lot of students online. It's not what it was 10 years ago. And the stock price just dropped like a rock. I mean, it was stunning, I think, for those of us watching in a way that, to me, it felt disproportionate to what they had said personally because uh, the value of what they acquired Trilogy alone for uh, uh, was almost more than what their market cap was by the end of this drop. But I think the bigger storyline in terms of what's the future of the OPMs is that you know we've had Chip uh, Palsek, the CEO of uh, TU, on a couple times, and some people know uh, John Katzman, who founded TU with him, and then went off and created Noodle Partners, uh, where he was basically like, "I'm going to disrupt the OPM space and create this fee-for-service model uh, that is much lower cost, half the price of what these OPMs charge." Uh, because the market is just a lot more mature now and people understand what they're doing and there's people at the universities that can build online programs. And I think this sort of says, hey, John may be right in that mm-hmm. direction. I think that that Noodle Partners has a strong vision and, and full disclosure, I'm on the board, uh, but that you know th- these revenue share arrangements that are taking 50, 60, 65% of revenue just aren't sustainable for the colleges in the long run. And we're starting to see the other shoe drop of uh, disruption in that market uh, where, where it's going to be much more fee-for-service arrangements much more, I think, universities doing a lot more for themselves in the longer run, personally, is what I think. Well, is and I think a lot of them, and we've identified this now a couple of times on the show, is uh, are these shorter programs, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the acquisition, when to you made that now a couple of years ago of Get Smarter, really was an indication of... Even, a smart move by them. Right? Even they thought that uh, uh, kind of short programs were, were a big part of, uh, of the future. Uh, you know, it's fascinating to me. I, I got to, a chance to spend uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, spend some time with business deans uh, of top schools at at, at Deloitte University, and, and I asked them, uh, I said, uh, you know, how many of you offer a single course? And not one hand went up. You know, what if I wanted to take an individual class? If I just wanted to come in one yeah. day and and pay you, pay yeah. you to take a class, and they didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. Now, some of them were, inter- it's interesting, they blamed it on their student information systems. Well, we don't know how to, like, we don't know it's how to It's fascinating, like, though, because I was at Deloitte U, <laughs> I think, four years ago with the same audience, yeah. and th- I, not the exact same question, but the same dynamic where I talked about the disruption of the NBA, and it was the same silence. <laughs> so it's like they're paralyzed. It seems yeah, they just can't. Le- they can't learn. From yeah, that. I mean, I think we both feel that the Masters maybe has reached its own peak, and we're seeing a disruption into shorter programs that may add up to a Masters over time, but it's not going to be. Uh, the end-all, be-all that that maybe it has been for a lot of these schools. Uh, so, Michael, we started our show uh, talking about this summer, um, but I hope the summer wasn't all work for you. Uh, <laughs> did you do uh, any interesting kind of listening or reading that uh, they, that our, our our listeners should to, should know about? Maybe other podcasts or other books that you might yeah. Want to so, recommend? so I I would say my summer was actually spent. Uh, I, I'm normally a big podcast listener, but I've been on a uh, uh, audiobooks uh, uh, kick, if you will, and so the. 
uh, and I'm on a Walter Isaacson kick right now. Oh. Um, so I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But uh, I did uh, Leonardo da Vinci by him, and I'm uh, almost all the way through Steve Jobs now, uh, which is sort of feels like catch up for me. Yeah. But um, and then in terms of reading. Uh, currently reading uh, uh, Academia Next by Brian Alexander, who's a futurist yep. uh, in the higher education space. His book doesn't come out for several months uh, from an academic press, but a uh, very fascinating look uh, at the trends that are going on in higher ed and what that might portend for the future. And then, of course, I had to get a couple am, uh, hashtag am writing podcasts in just to keep me motivated. What, what about you? Yeah, well, I, I love the hashtag am writing podcast as well. Uh, so I, I think we're both big fans yeah. of that. I'm on the Facebook group, too. Uh, you know, so for somebody, for any of our listeners out there writing, I highly recommend that uh, podcast because it kind of keeps you motivated. And, and you, when you listen to it, you realize I'm not alone. Yeah, right. Because totally. uh, writing is a kind of a solitary type of activity, uh, and you start to realize uh, there's a community there's, around yeah, you, and they go through the same through whims the of self confidence, doubt, yeah, and so same, forth. Uh, the same issues. Uh, uh, I've been reading mostly nonfiction, a little fiction. Uh, a friend of mine recommended The Dry uh, uh, by Jane Harper, uh, an Australian author uh, for of a book that t- uh, of a book that took place in in Australia, which I found fascinating and kind of a good page turn. And it's kind of nice to get out of nonfiction. Uh, once in a while, all I'm my jealous. other nonfiction has been mostly around uh, education. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting to dive into into your book, uh, "The Years That Matter Most," which is Paul Tuff's new book uh, coming out uh, in September. "Grown and Flown," a new book by uh, 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 these two women on uh, Facebook who run a they run, a, run group, a great group. They run yeah. a great group for uh, for people whose kids are essentially grown and flown and and leaving the nest. They, they won't um, let me in it. Because uh, you know I've got five year olds. So it's been great. Uh, so it's been a great summer of nonfiction reading uh, and and the hashtag am writing uh, group. So looking forward to maybe picking up some more f- uh, fiction uh, as well as when we get onto uh, onto this fall. Now, so we're going to be moving into our our next season here in uh, in future. You, we're going to be bringing on some guests pretty soon, including Mitch Daniels, uh, the president of uh, Purdue uh, University. But I wanted to know. Um, uh, for all of our listeners out there that we're going to start taking listener questions. Yeah, I mean, this uh, is going to be a new segment that we're going to debut. Uh, we have we did our last episode of last season uh, where we answered, uh, basically it was an Ask Me Anything show where we where we did uh, several questions from listeners. But at the end of each episode now, uh, we will take one uh, listener question. So we encourage you to tweet at us either at, uh, at Future You Podcast or at either of our yep. personal handles, uh, Michael B. Horn and uh, Jay Salingo. Jeff Salingo. Jay Salingo, Jay Salingo right. right. I don't even yeah. know my own handle. You know, there you go. I, I follow you so much. Uh, and uh, and so we encourage you to, any questions you'd like us to address in the podcast, we would love to, uh, because as we kick into this uh First, uh, out of this first episode and into the real full season with our uh, customary format of guests and us commenting on it, we'd love to uh, engage with you even more than we have. So, should be fun third season. And I'm excited to do it with you. I'm really excited too. Uh, you know, I, I I was a little reluctant to start this podcast a, a couple of years ago. I didn't know if we could remain uh, committed to it, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. Been getting some great feedback uh, from all the listeners out there. So please keep tweeting at us, emailing us. Uh, we love your suggestions, uh, suggestions of guests and others, uh, things you like, things you didn't like, things you didn't agree with, things you agreed with. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So until next time, I'm Jeff Salingo, and I'm Michael Horn. We'll see you next time on Future You. Oh, 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 
Hey folks, Michael Horn here. Hope you enjoyed the latest episode of Future You. And just a reminder to please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like the podcast, rate us so that others can find us and uh, find out about the good conversations that we're having here. As always, thanks so much for listening.